Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Sir Kevin Says. Today is episode number 24. Today we feature Rene Camacho, who's an awesome bass player. He plays acoustic and electric bass. He's also a vocalist, originally from Tucson, Arizona. He now lives in Los Angeles, and while trombone was his first instrument, he always had an affinity for the bass, and in his college years, Rene made the switch. Rene received a bachelor's degree in jazz studies and composition from the University of Arizona. Rene began working with many Latin artists shortly after moving to L.A. and most notably a five-year stint with the Queen of Salsa, Cela Cruz, and a brief time with the King of Mambo, Tito Puente. Artists that he has worked with include Sergio Mendes, Ry Cooter, Michael Buble, Oscar Castro Neves, Michael McDonald, Poncho Sanchez, Tipica 73, Robin Ford, Angelique Kidjo, Jose Alberto El Canario, Raul Malo, The Mavericks, Ricky Lee Jones, Juan Gabriel, The Fifth Dimension, The Pointer Sisters, Ron Blake, Francisco Torres, Oscar Hernandez, Canadian pianist Carol Wellsman, Arnold McCuller, The Disney Channel, and guitarist Dean Brown. Rene continues to actively record with artists from all over the musical world and currently performs with Draco Rosa, Kevin Eubanks, War, and many others. The first time I got to see Rene play was when he was performing with Poncho Sanchez at the Hollywood and Highland Summer Concert Series, which was a really cool experience. In the podcast, we discuss his move from Tucson, Arizona to L.A., what value means to him, and a host of other things. If you're listening via Spotify, I invite you to follow Sir Kevin Says. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you can show your support by subscribing and rating the show five stars. Alternatively, you can watch the video version of this and every other episode on my YouTube channel, Kevin Michael Chong, or visit my website, www.sirkevinchong.com, and view or listen to them that way. So without further ado, which by the way might be the coin phrase I'm going to keep from now on, especially because I'm trying to think of one new phrase per week and I can never seem to figure it out. Episode 24. Welcome to Sir Kevin Says. This is episode number 24. Today we are featuring Rene Camacho, bass player, vocalist, educator, and entrepreneur. Wow. There, there you go. <laughs> Rene, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Thank you much. for coming here, Thank man. I know it was a little bit here. of a drive, but I appreciate good. it, man. Yeah, no problem. How's man. everything My going? Things are going well. Things are going well, you know, considering what the time we're living in right now. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, I would say everything is 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 okay. Good. You know, not good. much uh, not much music right now in terms of uh you know, traveling and live music and things like that. But uh, uh, other than that, you know, I'm healthy, I'm safe. That's amazing. And, yeah. uh, you know, always practicing. Yeah, so. that's good, man. That's yeah. good. What have you been up to since the whole pandemic started? I know back in March, you know, everything kind of shut down right. musically, you know, for, for the gig economy. But what have you been doing just to kind of keep yourself preoccupied, you know, aside from practicing, I guess? Sure, sure. Um, well, you know, I've done a few live streams. Um with uh, duets, with a couple of trios and quartets and things like that. Just different things that I've been asked to do, you know, because I, I had first thought about possibly doing something like that. And then when I started receiving the calls to, you know, to engage in that, I was like, oh, man, okay, cool. Yeah. You know, same, same wavelength. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, little by little doing things like that, uh, also recording from home. Yeah, which is it. really good. Yeah. You have a studio at home? I have a small, small yeah. studio, you know, but yeah, just enough to, you know, record bass yep. um, mainly because mm -hmm. that's all I really do. Um, 
So if, if you know, I record electric direct, yeah, um, and if I need to do like some heavy acoustic playing and recording, then I'll I'll call uh, Jimmy Brownie. <laughs> like, man, help, man! Yeah. <laughs> Hook me up with your studio. <laughs> Is he still out in uh, Burbank area now? Or? Uh, he's in, he's he moved out towards Sherman, Sherman Oaks. Now. Sherman Oaks, okay, yeah, but it. he still has a studio in that area. Nice, that's yeah. cool, man. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing, man. Where you're from? I know you're not originally from LA. Born and raised in Tucson, yeah, Arizona. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that, man. Sure, sure thing. Uh, I was born and raised in Tucson, Arizona. Um, I'm third generation of. Uh, Arizonan. <laughs> um, my family comes from uh, Sonora, okay. uh, Mexico. Uh-huh. And um, uh, yeah, just, you know, I, I was uh, going to school, uh, you know, from elementary all the way through college. Mm-hmm. I went, uh, I made it to the University of Arizona. Yeah. I have a degree from them. Uh, and um, the, the odd thing was that I, I started playing music uh, early on because of my, a lot of my cousins were musicians. My dad was a trumpet player too. Nice. Um, but uh, I started playing music when I was five. And um, at seven years old, I decided to, to uh, play trombone. Wow. Yeah. And the thing was, is that, uh, you know, listening to music all the time with my cousins and my dad, uh, we would always listen to Willie Colon. Oh, and man. the one thing that always hit me was listening to La Murga and the beginning <laughs> of that song. I was like, I want to learn that instrument. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So so at seven years old, I started trying to play the trombone. Yeah. And of course, you know, at that age, you can, you can already hear it. You know, it sounds like a, one of those things that they play at the soccer games, you know, uh, just horrible sound. But <laughs> I was always trying to play that song and, and I would play it over and over and over and and uh, eventually, you know, moved on to other songs and, yeah. and tried other instruments. Uh, actually, at five years old, I was I was playing like drums and percussion because that's what my cousins were doing. Yeah. So I was mimicking them. You that's know? cool. And, and I try the keyboard, I try the guitar, and and yeah. certain things like that. But uh, eventually, I gravitated toward the trombone, and and that actually got me through college. Wow. You know, so it got me out of the the whole neighborhood activity. Yep. Um, mm. And um, you know that along with with a little bit of sports, I played sports throughout throughout my time in school. Um, but then my senior year in high school, I really started trying to get serious about music. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm glad I did because, you know, my transition from high school to, to college was uh, definitely easier than, than if I wouldn't have taken it Got seriously it. at that Got time. It. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I, I graduated from the University of Arizona, um, decided to try different places. I was looking at um, uh, Miami to do some postgraduate work. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't really pan out as well because uh, Hurricane Andrew hit, and I was like, eh, uh. I'm not really into that type <laughs> of vibe right now, yeah. you know." So I left there, and then I, I started. I joined a group, um, uh, this singer in in Tucson, who would go back and forth between Tucson and San Antonio. Okay, his name is uh, Adalberto Gallegos. Okay, and a phenomenal singer. And so I joined his group, and so that took me to Texas for a little while. Yeah, uh, playing a lot of the Tex-Mex uh, concerts and things like that. Got it. And then eventually, in in '95, I started thinking about making a, a bigger move, and that was originally to New York. Mm. And so I had you know everything lined up, and my eventual roommate here in LA, who was also a bass player, uh, he convinced me. You know, you know a lot more people in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you, you only know a few people in New York because oddly enough, the reason why I wanted to go to New York was Sonny Bravo from <laughs> Tito Puente's band yeah, yeah. kept harping on me. He's like, when are you going to move? When are you going to move? And so I, I thought, okay, 95, that's my time. Yeah. You know, I'm going to yeah. go. And so my eventual roommate told me, you know, you only know a few people over there. You know a lot more people here. Mm. Why don't you try 
LA for six months. And if it doesn't pan out for you, then make the move to New York. Yeah. So eventually I figured, all right, let me just do that. You know, I'll try it out. And I'm here still. Nice. Uh, 24 years or something like that. Yeah. And since then, I mean, you've done work with Tito Puente. You did work with Sailor Cruz. I mean, you call it a stint, but I mean, it's pretty big to play with the Queen of Salsa. So how was that time, man? That was phenomenal. You know, I, I never really realized that I would be able to to actually perform with her. You yeah. know, and I, I was able to perform with her the last five years of her life. Wow. And uh yeah, that was just incredible. You know, her as a person was it was she was like the band's grandmother, you know, she <laughs> took care of all of us, she nurtured us, yeah. you know, not only musically but personally, you know, and she yeah. was really an amazing woman. Um and I mean, you know, when when you talk about her musicality and her mm-hmm. singing ability and things, she was incredible. Yes. You know, when you hear all the old stuff, like as far back as Sonora Matancera and exactly. things like that, you know, it's just like, wow, you know, her 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 career has just you know blossomed into something really amazing. Yes, you know, yes. and I was able to I was able to do the Latin Grammys with her. Yeah, and things like I that, saw that. You know? That's that right. Was, yeah, that That's was right. Richie Gajardo was yes, playing on Richie that one. Richie was right? playing too. Mm-hmm. I think Kevin Ricard was on yep, that as Kevin well. Ricard. Um, Who's on drums? Well, Fredo Reyes. There we go. Well, Fredo Reyes. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Cool, Who's man. actually the drummer with Chicago now. Yeah. That's right. That's right. right. Yeah. And you're doing stuff with War as of late? Yes. Actually, I have been with War now going, it'll be six years in September. Man. So it's been a, it's been a, a really cool ride with those guys. <laughs> definitely. Um, you know, and, and I, I grew up listening to their music. Yeah. And I used to go every year to the Greek, you know, with, with, and they do that Saturday of of uh, Memorial Weekend yep. every year. And wow. so we used to go to those shows all the time. And I mean, I've known some of those guys in the band for years, you know? And and so uh, eventually I, I was able to sub for Pancho Tomaselli, who was the, the bass player at the time. And he was getting busy with, with some other projects that he had. So little by little, the transformation was where he went ahead and started doing more of those projects. Mm-hmm. And I came in and started doing more of the, the shows with War. Yeah. And just kind of, you know, ended up being the full-time guy. That's cool, man. Yeah. That's cool. So it's been it's been great, yeah. man. Yeah, I've seen you. You've also worked with uh, Kevin Eubanks. I mean, I used to watch The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. He was right. there for, what, 20? He was there 18 years. 18 years. 18 years. Man. I remember him mentioning something about, like, you know, once he stopped doing The Tonight Show, he was going to work on an album. Right. You know? Well, you know, we've, we've actually done three records okay. as a quartet. Actually, yeah, three records as a quartet, and he's done a couple more um, with uh, other artists, you know, like duets and things like yeah. that. Um, but yeah, that's been incredible. I think my first year with him was two thousand seven. Wow, if I'm not man. mistaken. And it's been it's been an incredible ride with him too. Yeah. Um, you know the the music is just it's the hardest music I've ever had to play. Really? Yeah. Wow. And it's if you listen to it and you're watching, it's Probably not as as um, as hard to listen to in terms of like okay, well I see what they're doing, you know, for musicians I should say, okay, not for the general audience, yeah. you know, for the general audience, yeah, they're like, wow, I don't understand how you guys do this and go from <laughs> here, you know, and transition to this, yeah, but um, yeah, this was this was a real learning experience for me because uh, I'd never been in that type of musical situation before where uh, the leader of the band really doesn't call off songs to us, kind of the Miles Davis vibe, oh. where there's not much speaking at all. Yeah. You know, and it's it's all listening. Got it. You know, like, 
he would start off a song and I'd, when I was first in the band, I'd look at Smitty, the drummer, you know, oh, Marvin, Smitty, Smitty. Marvin Smitty. Yeah. And, and he'd be like, he'd be like, hold on, hold on. You'll, you'll hear it. And sure enough, there'd be like maybe two notes of a melody. It's like, oh, okay, that's the song. And boom, we just started into a song. Wow. You know, and, and just, it really made me grow um, a great deal, you know, listening wise. And I always used to listen to music, like in a certain way, in a specific way. Right. Um, you know, throughout college, uh, sometimes in high school too, a lot of musician friends would get together with me and we would just sit in a room like this and just listen to music. Mm. And then, you know, we would, we would analyze it, you know, and that's kind of what it was playing or is playing in live situations with Kevin. Yeah. It's like, you're constantly analyzing, you're analyzing what, what uh, the sax player is doing. You're analyzing what the drummer is doing. You're analyzing what Kevin's doing. Sometimes there's, there's instances where it's just so intense and all of a sudden Smitty will drop out, boom. And it's like, oh, wow. Oh, man. Okay, well, this is a different vibe, you know, and you just you just make a, a, a different style. You yeah. know, you you just create in the moment, you know. That's and cool. That's cool. That is really cool because yeah. for all the bands that I had played with before, it, it's, it's a very structured sense mm -hmm. of music. You know? Yeah, there's charts and, and you know right. arrangements already you have to follow. You know, uh, right? Along exactly. What already done. And with Kevin, there's no charts. There are no. <laughs> there's no music written down. Yeah, it's all by memory. And you know, when we do get together, we rarely rehearse. Wow. So when we do get together, it's like sound check. We're going through the songs and we're all trying to remember. Oh man, okay, how did this section go? <laughs> oh man, okay, well nobody remembers this, so let's just do this. You yeah. know. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really interesting uh, way to approach music, and I'm so happy that I have had the chance to do that because, like I say, you know, the, there's so much structure in the other types of bands that I play in yeah. that uh, I would never have had the chance to to do that style of of uh, of music, you know, in terms of of, of thinking approach. You know, yeah, in that way, right? That's cool, man. Right. That's cool. Yeah. So, what was your first gig that really put things in perspective? Like, oh man, I'm doing music at the highest level. I can do that. <laughs> what was that question, gig? What man. was that experience like? So, when I first moved here, I moved in September of '96, and by October, uh, I had already received calls from from the Bonder brothers, from Tony and Ramon, oh, man. who were really instrumental in helping me. Um, start my my music career in yeah. LA. You know th those guys really set me up. Boncho did too. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but I received calls from 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 the Banner Brothers, and the first call that I received was from Ramon, and I'm like hello, and he says yo, I'm like who's this? It's Monzi, man. <laughs> oh hey, what's up, Monzi? Uh, you're gonna get a call in about five minutes, man, from Francisco Abavia. All right, okay, cool. Later. <laughs> <laughs> what? What just happened? You know? So sure enough, Francisco calls and he asked, you know, my availability. I'm like, yeah, I think I can make something. You know, it's like I had nothing. Wow, so it's like, all right, man. cool. And so that was my first, you know, instance in Los Angeles, which, you know, interestingly enough, was my first gig in LA. Yeah. And just showing up and, and getting a chance to play with with Francisco Abavia, you know, who yes. was who, you know, is a phenomenal artist, you know, in his own right, but has also played with some of the most incredible artists as well, you know. Um, and just thinking about all that as we're playing, it's like, man, I'm playing with Francisco. There he is, you know. And, wow. and all, the, all the history that I knew 
at that time would just come was coming back. You know, it's like, yeah. wow, okay, so then I I have reached another level. Yeah, you know, and that's not to say that the musicians that I had played with before were not at the same level. It was just a different situation, of course, altogether. Of course, you know, and and there was definitely more um, availability in terms of of playing all types of gigs here, not just being pigeonholed into one style of exactly. music, you know? Exactly. Cause when I first came here, like I said, I've started with Francisco and then uh, my roommate was a bass player in the R and B side. Mm. His name is Giovanni Collier and he plays now with Bruce Hornsby. He's been with Bruce Hornsby for about 26 years. Wow. But at the time he was playing with Gladys Knight and the Pips. He was also Man. playing with, with uh, uh, the Pointer Sisters with mm-hmm. the fifth dimension. And so he was hooking me up with, with some R and B gigs. You know, and the funny thing was that none of the people in the Latin scene knew that I played R&B music and vice versa. None of the <laughs> yeah. R&B guys had any idea that I played That's Latin dope. music. Yeah. So it was kind of a, of, of a funny scene for me, you know. Yeah. And eventually, obviously, you know, just because musicians play so many different things. Exactly. Here, everybody kind of found out. It's like, oh, man, you do this, you do that. And that's the one thing that before I moved here, I was always worried about being prepared to play all styles of music because yeah. I always wanted to. Uh, as as a kid, I listened to all styles of music. There yeah. was always music at the in the house. You yeah. know, my mom was a um, early on. She was a manager at a record store, mm-hmm. and so there was music at the house. My dad, like I said, was a trumpet player also. So obviously, there was always music that he would play too. And then going to parties and stuff with my family. There was never once that there wasn't any music. So there was Man. always music around. And I really realized later on that I would wake up with music in my room and go to sleep with music too. Mm. You know, I would listen to a little clock radio or yep. whatever, you know, and and it was it was just always part of my life. That's cool. You know? Yeah. And so ever since then it's just it, it's it's still the same to this day, you know? Yeah. So it's been it's been a pretty amazing transformation. Through through all of of the, the childhood stuff, of course, and keeping it going, and I would listen to all styles of music back when I was a kid. I would listen to well, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, you know, a lot of different jazz stuff. Then I'd put on like some Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, you know, and then I would put on like Santana. I'd put on Mariachi Vargas. I mean, you know, it just <laughs> just, just ran the gamut, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's I always wanted to be knowledgeable of what was going on in each style of music, and that still happens to this day. Yeah. I still try and listen to as many styles of music as possible just so I can hear, you know, something that, that I can learn from. I've been listening to a lot more old school type stuff in terms of like R&B, a lot of, uh, you know, like the, the Philly sound. Got it. You know, um, and I've always liked the arrangements and things that, that, that came out of that music. Yeah. You know, stylistics, you know, back like from Jersey, the escorts, mm-hmm. things like that. You know, that's, you know, a lot of people think it's oldies and things like that. And it is, you know, and I love that style of music. But revisiting, like, you know, everything that was involved in that music, it was pretty incredible. Even the old Motown stuff. Yes. You know, when yeah. you hear the arrangements that are that, that were happening back in the day, it's like the instrumentation involved. You hear a lot of French horns. You hear a lot of strings, obviously. But, you know, you hear, like, English horn. You hear oboe, bassoon. It's like, man, these, these guys were incorporating such, you know— uh, unique instruments to that style of music. And, you know, the general public really doesn't, they don't listen for that. They just, they like the tune, they like the lyrics, and, oh, that's a great song. 
But yes, it is a great song. Listen to the arrangement, yeah. you know, listen to what, what they were doing. And so I've kind of gone back to that era, you know, to, to really listen to things that were happening uh, arrangement-wise. Nowadays, like the, the, the newer music, uh, you know, I'll listen to as much as I can on the radio and just try and pick things that I think are interesting. And obviously, nowadays, you know, the the, the harmony is not as uh, important mm-hmm. as the rhythm, you know, because everybody is making beats and they, you know, they come off the beat thing, you yeah. know, which is cool because beats have always been important, you know. Um, but musically speaking, I don't gravitate to, so much to that, you know, because I want to hear the harmony that's involved. I yeah. want to hear a, a bridge in a song, Got which it. is rarely happening nowadays, right. you know. But, Especially in pop music. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pop music is is what it is now. It's It's really gone to such a simplistic style. Exactly. You know, and there are pluses, you know, from that. But there's a lot of things that have taken away that I wish would still be in in popular music. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, a lot of, you know, if I listen to radio, it's usually like an old school station or it's usually like uh, 70s, 80s, sometimes 60s, you know, uh, styles of of radio. Um, If I'm listening to music at home. I tend to gravitate toward back, you know, to, toward the the old jazz, you know, um, old Latin music. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still listen to a lot of the old Tito Puente from the forties. Wow. You know. Yeah. Uh, and and just just to hear hear the grooves, hear the bass lines and things, you know. Somebody else told me this that that Tito Puente would say about salsa music that he didn't like that term. Right. The term salsa is is just a general blanket mm-hmm. for all the, the all the grooves all the rhythms that, that that are happening like you have mambo you have cha-cha danzon waracha yeah. and so on you know and so back in the day before the term was coined they, you would say that okay we're going to play a mambo now you know we're going to play a cha-cha-cha you know and things like that uh and nowadays the newer bands just say okay we're going to play some salsa for you and it could be anything you know, it's just a, a blanket term yeah. to cover all the different styles of music. And so, yeah, Tito was was a real hardcore guy about that. You know, his opinion was, no, you need you need to identify each rhythm for what it is. Yeah. You know, and uh, I don't remember the actual story. I know there was there was one story about Izzy Sanabria uh, coming up with that term. He's a guy in New York who used to do. Um, uh, he was a writer. And uh, he, he came up with that uh, term to uh, give to Larry Harlow for his record, Salsa, you know. And then that's, some people say that that's where the, 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 the phrase was coined. But I'm not really sure the exact story about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's guys out there that do. But, uh, yeah, that, that was something that Tito Puente really wasn't too fond of. Yeah. I guess we've known each other longer than we thought. Right. You know, it's been about right. 10 years because yeah. I used to go and see uh, you play at, at uh, Hollywood and Holland with Poncho. Sure. You sure. know, and I saw Alberto there. I saw you. Um, mm-hmm. I think George uh, Ortiz used yeah. to play. Georgie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Georgie used to play there. Yeah. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Humility is a very important characteristic, I would say, especially for musicians. Would you right. agree? I would definitely agree. You may know a lot about music. You may, you may, have really honed in your craft, but you don't know everything and you never will. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll learn from anybody. It doesn't matter who it is, yeah. you know, whether it's good, whether it's bad, you'll learn not to do that again, you know, or you'll learn not to do what they just did or 
the good stuff. Oh man, I don't know that. I got to figure that out, yeah. you know? And that's, that's, I think a, a, a life lesson too. You know, it's not so much just involved in the, in the music yeah. thing, you know, uh, as a musician, you really have to take control of everything. And that, that is also, you know, the, the musician, the music itself, you know, you have to be really humble with, with what you're doing, you know, and you never know who is going to come up and talk to you. You know, if you don't know them, that person could be, you know, the most phenomenal musician ever. And you really have to take either your crit- the criticism they gave you or, you know, the, the, the accolades that they gave you, yeah. you know, and, and you just have to really understand, you know, and take it in. Um, and sometimes I don't see that happening with the younger artists, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I can understand that, that you do get into to a, a situation where you're thinking, okay, well, I know, I know a pretty good amount of what I'm doing. So yeah, I'm, I'm the cat, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of times, you know, there's always going to be somebody that you have no idea who, who that person is and may not come from LA, may not come from New York, but maybe somewhere, you know, in, in New Mexico or, or Colorado or something like that is like, wow, where'd this guy come from? Yeah. This guy's amazing, yeah. you know? And, and, and you just kind of have to have that, that vibe where keep an open mind yeah. and understand, you know, that, that, yeah, you're, you're, you're pretty solid with your thing, but, you know, you still have to keep it, you know, keep it low key and keep yeah. it humble and, and understand and learn from different people. You know, yeah. you can't, you can't have that vibe all the time. And I, I've, I've, I've run across it, quite a few times, you know, and at that point you just stay quiet and just see what they have to offer, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, and then, and then you just make your decision afterwards. Like, okay, yeah, that guy, yeah, I'm not going to, exactly. you know, you know, work with him again or right. keep my distance. You know, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's hard for, for the general musician to, to be able to navigate through that, you know, because, we as 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 independent contractors, so you know, so to speak, uh, we we don't have somebody next to us saying, okay, you know what, don't listen to that or or don't you know don't go that route, go this route, yeah. you know. So you just have to kind of learn it on your own and and decide which what you know route you're going to take musically, life wise, and on all of the above. Yeah, know? yeah. Where do you see the music industry going? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I don't have a lot of um, hate for the, for the industry or anything like that, but I do see it going downward very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, record companies, man, are just, obviously they're flailing. They're trying, you know, flailing and failing. They're trying to figure out a way to stay afloat, you know, and in, ter- in, in turn, they're really hurting the artist. The person that is making them the money. Yeah. You know, um, I've seen, I've seen a lot of artists come and they're at the top of their artist game, you know, not necessarily musically, but they're like the it thing at that point, you know, and then all of a sudden, bam, they are gone. Mm. It's like, well, what happened? I mean, these guys were, were big or she was big or whatever, you know, and all of a sudden they're not even on the map anymore. But that's the record company manipulating the artist's career, you know, and, and they manipulate it by 
by money, um, by lifestyle, you know, like a lot of the rappers, a lot of the, like in the Latin scene, the reggaeton guys, mm -hmm. you know, there's big artists and there are people that have, that have gotten their careers have, have exploded, but the record companies have signed a contract with them where they give them a house, they give them a car, they give them all of the promotion necessary to, to have that huge name. And yet they're only paying the artist maybe a thousand dollars a week wow. or something like that, yeah. you know, and, and everything that they make from sales of their music, their face, their, all of that goes straight, straight to, to the yep. record company. Yeah. Cause they and own them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's what the contract states. So that's a really bad thing. I think, you know, uh, that the industry is doing to the artists because what's going to happen eventually is that artists are going to realize, man, well, you know, we can't be doing this. It's great to, to have all the fame and, and, and all that type of thing, but where's, where's our, our art going to go and where's our music going to go, you know, after the fact yeah. it's like, well, yeah, we were the ones that created it, but we're not going to be recognized for that yeah. because yeah. the record companies have taken all that away from us. Yeah. You know, that's my feeling in the pop sense. In the sense of all other music, it's, I mean, it is what it is right now because everything is always, has, has, has always been trending downward. You know, um, like in the jazz scene, there's always phenomenal musicians coming, you know, out at all times because, man, the younger generation in, in jazz has, has really elevated the technical aspect of the music to, Places where you haven't heard since like um, bebop, yeah, you know. But some of these other cats that are coming out now, it's like, man, they're taking bebop to another area, yeah. yeah. And it's phenomenal, you know. But the the availability of venues for them to play is shrinking. The you know the availability of um, uh, record labels for jazz is shrinking, mm -hmm. you know. So that's a really bad state for for that side of the business for, yeah. for jazz, you know? Um, and just radio in general just seems to be a whole different thing than one from when we were growing up, you know? You would be able to listen to all styles of music just going down the radio dial, you know? And I don't know if it's because there's a lot of streaming. I, I, I think the streaming is beneficial because if, if a, a basic listener, um, non-musician maybe, uh, wants to listen to a style or wants to listen to their artist specifically, they can do that, you know, and, and they don't have to mess with a CD. They don't have to mess right. with a, an LP. What? Yeah. What's that? <laughs> cassette. <laughs> yeah, cassette, you know, eight track, yeah. you know, or anything like that. Um, so I guess that's okay. But that also is hurting the musician because yeah. they don't pay the musician royalties that right. they should be paying. Right. You know? And, and I mean, that's, that's a, it's a loaded question yeah. because there's so much involved in the negative side. Exactly. You know, so yeah. I don't see it trending upward at all. It's trending downward. When you see Catalina Bar and Grill here, yeah. you know, with the, the, one of the biggest jazz venues on the West Coast, if not the country, you know, they're, they're, they're a good circuit club where a lot of major jazz acts go. And they're hurting right now. They wow. put up a GoFundMe, you know, and, and they've got like, you know, uh, Chick Corea as a spokesperson trying to promote, you know, the GoFundMe and things like that. And, and it's just... So those types of businesses, the venues are not getting help, you know, from from any type of government fund. Yeah. You know, um, 
And I just read also there's a, another venue in, in Washington, D.C., uh, Blues Alley. And we, we, we play there every year with Kevin. Um, and they're about to go under, too, because they haven't had any help. And they've been closed since March, too, you know, and their rent is due. And they're in Georgetown. So wow. just like Catalina Bar and Grill being in Hollywood, those are the biggest spots for high rent. You know, for yeah. a for a space like that, so yeah. it's it's really a drag to see. Yeah. You know, and there have been various venues in Los Angeles too that have have closed before the pandemic, during the pandemic, they won't reopen again. Yeah. You know, and that's that's really a depressing thing to see. Yeah. Uh, being a musician who who you know really wants wants and sometimes needs to play exactly. You know, out live and things like that. You know, and and I think. Basically, every musician around the world is going through that because it is a worldwide situation. And, uh, you know, the venues worldwide are closing just like here in the States. Mm -hmm. So once we do get out of this whole pandemic situation, it will be interesting to see who who's left standing, yeah. you know, in terms of, of the venues, in terms of the festivals, in terms of, of anything live, yeah. you know. Uh and here in the states, if, if if Life Nation doesn't gobble everything up, you know, in terms of live live events, then we'll see who who else is able to create a situation for yeah. for musicians to play live. Yeah. You know? Can you talk about the differences when it comes to recording an album mm -hmm. and let's say performing live? Sure. Um, well, definitely preparation is it, 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 the probably the most important part of either. Uh, situation, you know, if you're going to play live, then you need to rehearse the band. You you want to have a show, or some type of a show, no matter what style of music. You want to keep the, the the audience engaged, mm -hmm. even if it's jazz. And and the show portion may not be like you know choreography and things like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. just breaks within the music or you know breaks between songs and you know a little bit of engagement with with the audience. You got to know what you're going to say, things like that. Exactly. You know? Just to keep it light sometimes, you know, um, because, yeah, if you're a jazz event, a lot of times the music takes a lot of listening, you yeah. know, and, and that takes a lot of energy out of out of people. I remember when I was when I was younger, when I was uh, like uh, just in, in into college, I remember going to see the Chicory Electric Band. Oh, man. You know, <laughs> and I saw them maybe four times live and it was phenomenal, but it was so exhausting to hear it. <laughs> Because everybody played the melody and everybody had amazing chops. And I was like, oh, man, there's all this information bombarding me, you know, yeah. for two hours. It's like you just sit there afterwards like, wow, <laughs> man, what happened? <laughs> you know, I mean, as phenomenal yeah. as it was, right. it was just like so man, much information, so yeah. much information, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, you know, as as an artist, you, you want to keep that in mind, especially nowadays, because I think, I mean, my my opinion is. With technology, a lot of a lot of people have a shorter attention span, mm. you know, and things are more visual and not as audible anymore, yeah. you know. Um, so you have to prepare all of with all that in mind for for a live situation, yeah. you know. Um, in terms of of recording, we definitely have to prepare the music. Um, but nowadays, the interesting thing is that you don't. Uh, when you go into a studio, you don't have the mindset of like, okay, it's going to be first take, second take, and that's it. I mean, you kind of do, 
But the thing is with technology now, you don't have to be 100%. Mm. It's like, okay, let me punch this spot exactly. in. Or, oh, no, just nudge it over a little bit. Or, oh, you can use auto-tune and it'll sound great. Right. You know, back right. in the day when it was two-inch <laughs> tape, it's like you had to perform it. You had yeah. to play, you know, you had to do your thing. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, so the, 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 uh, the preparation for, for um, recording, in my mind, is not as... as uh, what it used to be. It's not yeah. what it used to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and in terms of preparation for for everything else, all the other elements, you know, it's I think it's kind of the same yeah. for both situations. You know, personally, you know, you 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 definitely have to have your your all your stuff together. You yeah. know, on your instrument, uh, make sure that you know that that everything else is cool. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I mean, it can be challenging at times. You know, but but if you have if you have a, a an outlook as to how you want to do things, then. I think it'll eventually work to your favor to just plan, you know, pre-plan. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, that's whether you're, you're in a band situation, an individual situation, either way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. One thing that happens to every musician is they reach the highest peak. They also reach the lowest peak. Yeah. How do you go about navigating through both scenarios where, you know, you're constantly working, you know, you're, you're gone for months at a time. And then there comes that slow period where you're not doing much. You're at home, you're chilling. How do you navigate through those two emotions? Interesting question, because I'm, I'm actually navigating through that right now, <laughs> per se. Um, Cause as we spoke yeah. earlier um, last year, I was gone quite a bit. I, I, you know, I flew just under 200,000 miles last year from gig to gig and, situation to situation, you know, because I wasn't only with just one band trying to, you know, juggle different bands and in, in different cities and things like that, you know, so it was pretty crazy. So I was gone quite a bit last yeah. year, you know, and then as of March this year, I haven't been anywhere. Yeah. Um, so I was navigating the high, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of all the traveling and things like that, you know, and, and maybe not the stardom, but, you know, at least for me, I was quite content, you know, <laughs> and now home you know, for the last almost five months or whatever, and uh, just kind of wondering, wow, okay, let's see what happens, you know? So it's a day-to-day -day, uh, thing for me, yeah. you know, to try and, and, and figure out and understand how to navigate this low section yeah. of right now, you know, and to, to really try and figure out how long it's going to last because nobody knows, really, yeah. you know? Um, I have pretty much already set my mind to, well, there may not be any more live music for us travel wise till next year. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's going to be, it'll be challenging, but now knowing that I've set my mind that way, you know, I'm, I'm trying to plan as well as I can yeah. to navigate through that, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I think in general, just trying to, trying to just take a step back and see what's happening day to day, whether it's high, whether it's low or, or, you know, in between, um, just kind of see, okay, what do I have to look for this day? All right. There's these things. There's that, you know, there's that there's tomorrow, there's next week, you know, and things like that. And, and, you know, you have to have a lot of faith in, in, in what you're planning and in, in what you do, you know, yeah. with, with, with yourself, yeah. you know? Um, and that's, 
that's kind of like a work in progress for me right now. Yeah, yeah. I've seen on Facebook, a lot of people have been posting, you know, if if you don't come out of this pandemic and you haven't developed a new skill, like what were you really doing anything? And it's like, right. everybody deals with these things differently. Of course. You know, not everybody's going to be able to, oh yeah, now that I'm not working, let me just go ahead and take up another passion. Like that took already a lot of work to develop in the first place. You know, you studied music, you know, now right. you've, you've toured the world and just to drop that and try to find something else just because. You yeah, know, you know, in, like that. right. In my age, it's like, okay, well, if I can't go tour, you know, with music anymore, well, okay, I'll just go get a nine to five job. Really? Mm. It's like, I've, I've never done that. I did a nine to five for one day in yeah. college. I'm like, that's not for me. <laughs> you know? So it's okay. like, uh, how am I going to just, you know, change my mindset to wake up every morning at six and go to a job and come home and then yeah. wait till the next day to do exactly the same thing, you know, and that, that type of routine that takes a lot of work in my mind, yeah. you know, um, just as it takes a lot of work for, for me to get up at three in the morning to go to LAX to take a flight at five thirty, yeah. you know, and perform that same day and then have another lobby call at three in the morning <laughs> after your show and then go to the next venue and do the same thing over and over and over. Yeah. That's a whole different mindset yeah. too. And that's, that's something that, that we are trained to do, Yeah, you know? Um, but yeah, there, there's, there's, there's going to be a lot of training <laughs> in general, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. It's, for sure. it's just, it's a little, a little, still crazy. Yeah. yeah. While things were busy, how did you go about not burning yourself out? It was difficult. It was difficult because, um, you know, when I was, before I started doing a lot of traveling, I was playing here in town a lot mm -hmm. um, with different bands, you know, because you're doing your hustle. And sometimes I would have three gigs a day, four gigs a day, you know, especially in the summertime because, you know, when all the parks would have their festivals or yeah. they'd have those, those nightly uh, or weekly um, series, you know like on a Wednesday night or Thursday night or whatever, you know, and, and every park, every neighborhood had that. So we were lucky enough to play all those things, plus lunchtime concerts and things like that, yeah. you know? So yeah, that was, that was really challenging, you know, to be, uh, say showing up to your first gig of the day at 11 in the morning, 10 in the morning. And then right after that, like say that was in downtown LA. And then right after that, you had to be in San Pedro to play an afternoon show. And then right after that, you had to be in La Puente to play an evening show, you know? So for those of us that don't know where those places are, that's a lot of driving yeah. in Los yep. Angeles traffic. <laughs> so, you know, you need to really yeah. realize that, okay, well, I have uh, two hours to get to from point A to point B. And with the amount of traffic, that could be like two and a half hours. So you really have to figure out, okay, how am I going to do this? And then get to the next gig and be able to play happy and, 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 you know, with your mind yeah. in the music. Have the energy for it. Have the energy. Know? Exactly. Yeah. You know, so, so that was really challenging there, you know, um, and then having to do it the following day. So for me, that for, with those experiences, man, resting, you know, um, get as much rest as possible, man. So you have a clear mind. You know, yeah. to to be able to navigate through any situation that you're that you're dealing with there, and the same thing with traveling. You know, it's because like like we were talking, you know, it's like at three a.m. wake up calls. You know, flying venue afterward another wake up call, yeah. flying venue. That's the same thing. You have to pick your moments where you get enough rest so that one you can endure your endure it mindset wise. Two, 
body wise too, you have to be, you know, as healthy as possible yeah. because that's, if, if you don't have that, then you can't do any of that. Yeah, exactly. You know? So yeah. that was really the main takeaway from that for me was like trying to find your places to rest yeah. with your moments, you know, within the 24 hour period. Yeah. Because when you really break it down from 24 hours, it's like, wow, I only have like three hours to sleep here. I only have one hour to sleep here. You know, and that's just that when you really realize that, that's a big thing, Yeah. you know. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, there are some people that don't really think of it that way and they burn out, Yeah. you know. But if if you have a chance to just, and even just write it down on a piece of paper, okay, here's midnight here and here's midnight tomorrow, mm. you know. What am I going to do, you know. And, and sometimes that gives you a whole different outlook on things wow i didn't realize i do this here and do that you know so if you can really determine you know where your hours are and things like that and when it's best to to try and relax and and just take your mind off things you know yeah because obviously man you know when you're in town and trying to navigate through traffic here in la that doesn't take your mind away from anything that stresses you out <laughs> yeah. a lot, you know? So there were, there were times where I was so stressed out getting to a gig that I'd be on a gig and I just relax. Oh, this is great. You know? And it's like, wait a minute, man, I should be thinking about what's going on in the gig, you right. know, but, but going playing the music is what was the most relaxing part of, of the day, you know? Yeah. And sometimes traveling is that way too. Yeah. It's like, you have so many things going on that once you get to the show and you're actually playing music, it's like, Oh man, good you know yeah yeah so yeah so it's it's just a being able to identify all all of that yeah being realistic about it right yeah right for sure sure. you know because yeah you definitely have to be realistic i mean you know there's things that i used to be able to do when i was younger especially like going on the road and stuff like oh i don't need to sleep you know i'm cool man let's go you know and things like that but now it's like oh wait a minute (laughs) i don't work quite like that anymore you know so yeah it's kind of weird man but you know, it is what it is, yeah. and you and you just you you roll through it, you know, right. and you you identify it and and make it work for you. Yeah, you know. Yeah. The word value. How important do you think that is? I think it's really important. Um, the thing, the thing that I went have gone through and I'm going through. Um, you know, you understand. You get called for an, a a job. You know, and and. Nine times out of ten, it's a job that the person that's calling you f- about it is the one that's going to be, you know, compensating you for it. So, you know, it's coming out of their pocket, you know. Um, so you keep you have to keep that in mind because, yeah, I do have a set rate for certain things. But if the person comes clean with everything, all the details, like, wow, OK, I understand, you know, and and and. I, if I was in the position that you're in the in the position of trying to pay me for you know my my services, well, okay, I understand. So let me give you a little break here because the that's that's valuable for me to be yeah. able to help that person, mm-hmm. you know, create what they want to create. Um, there are situations where, yeah, you want to be strict and you want to stay with with your you know your pricing and things like yeah. that. <clears throat> Excuse me, but. You know, you you eventually you learn and you get the vibe from the person right away. Yeah. You know, or or a company or any situation where where it's up to you to to promote your value to them. Yeah. You know, um, 
it's always great if you're if you're able to have some sort of a manager or something like that that can do the dirty work for you. You know, <laughs> it's it's hard to it's hard to find that somebody like that because you you know if you actually hire a manager, you don't always get a chance to to play as much to pay them. So you're paying them more than you're getting paid. <laughs> you know, but if you have somebody that that will that will you know stand in your corner and you can call them. Hey, you know, can you can you make this call for me and and just make sure that that uh, that all the all the details are cool, yeah. and then this is this is what I expect. Cool, that's great. I rarely have that option, mm-hmm. so it's always on me. And a lot of times, you know, you are going to get the sob story from from almost everybody. You know, as in in terms of of what they expect from you and what you can expect from them. Yeah. You know, um, but you're you're. Um, supposed to in your mind be able to extract you know the good things and the bad things here you know good things here and determine at that point which is almost split second when you're thinking of all that to respond in a way to where everything's going to be cool for both of you you know because you don't want to give off the vibe like that oh i'm too good for that because that's the first thing they think of Mm -hmm. you know when where um well i can't help you out because i am you know, this is what I expect to make for whatever I'm doing. You know, that that comes off in a, in a bad way a lot yeah. of times. You know, so you want to be able to work with somebody because you don't want to burn the bridge. Exactly. You know, yeah. you, the 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 bottom line is that you don't want to burn bridges because you want to keep working. Yeah. You know, so if you have to do things for free sometimes, then you do it for free. Yeah. You know, um, but use your judgment to be able to decide. Okay, no. I need to stay strict with 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 what I need here. Do you ever come up with like some type of contract or some type of like waiver situation where like you have them sign it so that way right. things are on paper? You know, I have done that in the past. I, I haven't done it very often, but when you do pull that out, if you know, and I've and I've it's happened to me. You pull that out, and it's right away. It's it's offensive to somebody. You know, it's like wait a minute. Well, what are you what are you insinuating with this? Yeah, I'm just covering myself. Yeah. But they think of it in a whole different way. Yeah, so yeah. it can be difficult to do that, you know. Um, and the challenge is to decipher who to do it with and who exactly. not to do it with, you know. Yeah, yeah. that makes yeah. sense. It's- so, that yeah, that, that's, that's uh, not as personable as, you know, as, as like just you and I just having a, a verbal agreement and sticking to it. Right. But if I'm, if I have that with you and we don't, come to that agreement. We have the agreement, but but the outcome is not the agreement. Then if I work with you again, I will give <laughs> yeah, you that. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, cover your base <clears> for the next <throat> Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, you know, you you don't wanna you don't want to sell yourself short. Yeah. Because after all, you've done all this time, mm. you know, of, of of preparing your craft. Yeah. You know, yep. and, and and preparing yourself for that what you're trying to do with that person. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So yeah, the value is super important, you know, and that and and the term value doesn't only uh, go with with you know the, the monetary. Yeah, of course, of it, course, it's you know value is how do you value yourself? How do you value you know everything? Yeah, you know, and that yeah. that's yeah that could be a podcast on its own. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, of yeah. course. Sure. What do you say to the aspiring musician, people that look up to you, people that respect your work and admire you? What would you tell them? Keep working hard. Keep working hard because, you know, you, you have your ultimate goal and, and always work toward your goal. 
You know, no matter what uh, restrictions or obstacles may be in front of you, and there are quite a few nowadays, you know, for any type of situation, any type of career that you really are looking for, you know. Um, I, I do have students, you know, that, that want to be um, bass players in, in, in the same situations that I'm in and things like that. And to me, I think it's good to keep going for them, you know, for their situations. Keep going. Move forward toward your goal, your ultimate goal. Because, you know, as, as far as as long as there's going to be live music, there's always going to be rhythm sections for singers. There's always going to be rhythm sections for whatever situation. And there always has to be a bass player, you know, because <laughs> sure. if there's no bass player, there's no bottom. And yeah. it's like, whoa, wait a minute. What's going on? You know, I mean, you can always fake it with the yeah. keyboard and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, in the words of Megan Trainer, it's all about the bass. That's yeah. right. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I tell my students, yeah, keep going, keep moving forward with things that you want to accomplish, you know, because there will be a situation if you. If you search for it, there will be a situation for you to, to be a part of. That's good. You know, on the other hand, I see other musicians, you know, especially the ones that are going to, to school, conservatories and things like that. You know, like I see, a, for instance, uh, a, a saxophone player who's studying classical music and not so much jazz. Mm. You know, it's great because they're going to be a, a, a phenomenal sax player. But when they graduate, where are they going to go? Yeah, you know, career-wise, it's like there's only so many symphonic pieces that have classical saxophone. Right, right. You know, so you really, I try and tell students, you know, think about the outlook, you know, your future, and where do you want to be, you know, in terms of what you're doing now, mm. you know, and you want to prepare yourself for that. Okay, cool. You want to be a classical sax, you know, saxophonist, <laughs> you know, uh, where are you going to go? You know, okay, you can teach. That's cool. You know, that's going to be good. So if you want to, if you want to teach, go for it. You know, and 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 provide other people with your knowledge, yeah. which is great. You know, but if you're planning to be a performer, then you really have to think about it twice. You know, and and you have to learn other styles of music in order to play. You know, for me, when when I was a trombone player, you know, I, it got me through school, the whole thing, and I was playing gigs, and it was great. It was fun. You know, but not every band needs a trombone player. Mm. So another instrument that I always gravitated toward was bass. So every situation that I that I know that I would want to be involved with, you know, requires a bass. Yeah. So that's where I was kind of looking futuristically, you know, to 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 that point. Okay, I want to be a bass player and I want to be able to do these situations. So I prepared myself for that. Yeah. You know? And so no matter what it is, if it's a photographer, if you want, you know, if you want to go into a certain field, well, go definitely, man. You know, move, move that, move toward that that uh, career. You mm -hmm. know, move that toward that style of whatever you want to do. Um, just keep a positive outlook, because yeah. there are obstacles. You know, uh, no matter what situation, mm -hmm. but just move forward. Yeah, that's good. Renee, thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you for coming no problem, out here man. and doing this with me. I really yeah. appreciate it. This thank you for having me. Episode 24 with Renee Camacho. Thank right you on. so much, man. That was thank great. Thank you. All, All right. right. Great. Cool, man. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Turn on the air, please. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you for checking out episode 24 with Renee Camacho. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Episode 25, la próxima semana, which means next week. Peace.